travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the music. Everybody have fun tonight. Everybody Wang Chung tonight. The movies. Yes! 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 Oh! 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 I'll have what she's having. And the parties. No one in my family ever drinks. That's great! You probably never run out of ice your whole life. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your old pal Spearsy. And Brad in LA. And today we talk with the author of a new book set in 1984. It's called Once in a Lifetime, and this is our chat with writer Suzanne Mataboni. Oh, that's very fascinating, Timmy. I read a lot myself. Some people think I'm too intellectual, but I think it's a fabulous way to spend your spare time. I also play racquetball. This episode of Stuck in the 80s is sponsored by... The 80s Cruise. Join your Stuck in the 80s hosts along with MTV VJs Mark Goodman, Alan Hunter, and downtown Julie Brown in spring of 2024 for a week-long trip on board the Royal Caribbean Mariner of the Seas. Performers will include 38 Special, Air Supply, The English Beat, Soft Cell, Debbie Gibson, Sebastian Box, Stephen Piercy of Rat, Ray Parker Jr., Sheena East, and Wang Chung, Midnight Star, Anna Motion, Real Life, Escape Club, When in Rome, Tommy Two-Tone, and more. Look, I have to do something to get through these. Okay, it's a big list. Humor me. Hey, did you know, speaking of humoring me, did you know we have a promo code? I wonder if you knew that. If you didn't know that, I'm going to tell you right now. That promo code is stuck. It's S-T-U-C-K. You spell it, you get it. Conditions apply when booking to get $200 of crabbing credit. Conditions. You must be a first-time 80s cruiser to use the code, and you got to use it. When do you use it, Steve? Do you use it before you book? Do you use it after you book? Or do you use it when you're booking? D. All of the above. C. Always C. Use it when booking. Use when booking. C. Go to www.the80scruise.com for more information. But get off your podcast listening device and get on the computer and do it quick. Only 10 cabins remain. 10. That's 10. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Hey, gang. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I have a question for every one of you. Did you have a summer in your life that just meant more than the others? Was there a year, a summer job, a set of adventures that helped you kind of reinvent who you were? That's the theme of the novel, Once in a Lifetime, by today's guest, Suzanne Mataboni. Well, Steve, if you're going to ask everybody else that question, I'm going to ask you that question. Do you have a summer like that? I think we've talked about it on a podcast. At summer of 86, you and I were having, it was the summer after our freshman year in college, right? Yep. It was the only summer break that I took while I was in college. The rest of mine ended up going to classes. Um, but I went home for this summer. I got a job at a video store called Pick a Flick. Don't look for it. It's long gone. And uh, that ended up being the summer that, for whatever reason, changed my career path. I I went to the University of Florida wanting to be an accountant, you know, because I think I'd ro- watched Risky Business one too many times, you know, and I wanted to turn my parents' house into a brothel. 
But nice. failing that, <clears throat> I switched to journalism. Somewhere, somewhere that summer, that change happened. Uh, what about you? Steve, I do have a summer like that. Actually, I have a couple, but let's start with the leader in the clubhouse, summer of 1983. So cast your mind, it's 1983. We are newly minted 16-year-olds, and what does that mean? Driver's license. Driver's licenses. And what does Jack Sparrow tell us that a ship is? A ship is in a way to travel. A ship is freedom. It's freedom. (laughs) Sorry, I know that's not an 80s movie. But that was summer <laughs> that my friends and I all suddenly were completely mobile. And we had no adult responsibilities to speak of. We were 16. I mean, I was working, but I wasn't like trying to support a family. I was just getting money to screw around with. It was great. So that summer I had two jobs, which sounds onerous, but one of them was I was splitting the church janitor job with another one of my friends at our church and they were paying us. They were splitting the full like adult actual person trying to live on this money money between the two of us. So I'm just rolling in cash. Also, it's summer and you'd think, oh, there's probably a lot going on. It was quieter at the church than you might think. So really Monday you'd sweep up and then it was kind of kick back the rest of the week. And then at night I worked at the drive-in, which was great. Uh, It's just a great summer. Just doing stuff with my friends, driving around like maniacs and just like living our best life. It was amazing. Some of my fondest memories from that summary. Any fundamental changes though? Like did you, did you find that you emerged at the end of the summer a slightly different person? No, I'm the same boring guy that I always have been, Steve. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't think of any like real windows like that that were transformative. Like you'd think that the summer tail end of summer of 84, when I moved from Oklahoma to California, that like some, you know, what is it that Molly Ringwald's character says in 16 candles? I thought I'd wake up and the change would be so, you know, it'd be so major that I would be able to see it in my attitude. I, you know, no. I'm not, I'm not clever enough to reinvent myself, Steve. I could barely get where I am today as it is. <laughs> Oh man! Well, I feel bad. '86 for me. I mean, the other thing I thought of while you were talking it was that's the summer of Epic Trash, my Garage Band. Was it really? Uh, I really want to hear that tape. <laughs> so yeah. So for those who don't know, yeah, I was in a Garage Band called Epic Trash, and the other day I found a tape that we had recorded. Now I found, to be honest, I found the cover of the tape. I oh, do not have Steve, the you're breaking tape. my heart. So no, trust me. I, it's better than breaking your mind, which is what would happen if you actually played it. It's not – I know you have this dream that I sounded like this amazing drummer of this this totally hip garage band that somehow just missed out on fame and fortune. Literally none of those things are true. I was no. a shitty drummer for a band that played our friends' parties. I don't think we ever got paid a dime that summer. We just got free drinks. I mean, look, um, I'm reminded of the line of the recruiter – in the secret of my success who tells Michael J. Fox that if he had gone into their training program out of, you know, right out of high school, he'd be ready for that job then. And what is Michael J. Fox? What'd I go to college for? Had a good time. Didn't you? Why were you in a band? You had a good time. Didn't you? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Um, I, I think that the theme though, the theme of reinventing yourself is why I found this book once in a lifetime. So addictive. I, Mm. it's set during the summer summer of 84 it's in a touristy small town an actual real town called new hope pennsylvania i've never been there i've never been yeah. to pennsylvania i think you and i have the same reaction like is this a real town let me let me get on google maps <laughs> I, I googled it yeah and uh it, it follows four female friends you could say that this book 
is geared towards a female readership. I, I still got a lot out of it. Uh, these four friends are basically going to work waitress jobs in the summer to save up money for the next year of college. The main character, Jessica, is saving up so she can go to study in England for a year. Nice. And the one thing that's kind of set at, at the end of the summer, the big end of the summer event, is there's the Pretenders are in town for a concert at a real small venue. So everything's building up to the Pretenders concert. Uh, the fashion in the book, the music, the pop culture, every chapter is named after a song from the 80s. Okay. And when you read the chapter, then you, you make the connection between the song and the and the content of the chapter. It's it's a fun book, and it's it's just one you know one small season in a year in our favorite decade. And so I was I was you know I, I read it really quick, and I immediately emailed the author and said you know please come on the show. Yeah, I mean it's a smart conversation. I've, I've listened to the interview, but I'm looking forward to hearing it again. Okay, so sit back and enjoy my conversation with Suzanne Mataboni, author of Once in a Lifetime. Suzanne Mataboni, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me on. This is great. I, I really, really enjoyed your book, Once in a Lifetime. Uh, in fact, when I was done, I was threatening my wife that I was going to make a playlist of all the songs you referenced in the book. Excellent. You, you certainly love new wave music. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's my thing. Definitely. It'd be a good playlist. It would be a great playlist, especially this yeah. title song, especially with the Talking Heads movie coming back out. Was it next month, I think? So we'll see that again. Oh, yeah. It's not making sense. Um, first of all, I want to set the stage for our listeners, many of whom grew up during the 80s. Uh, in 1984, I was a junior in high school. Um, uh, when this book is set in 1984, what, where were you in life? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, similarly, I was in college. And, uh, you know, that's where some of this stuff comes from. You know, it sort of starts with your own experience and the characters just kind of run their own way and do their own things to get to the... <laughs> to where they want to be in the story and, you know, do all sorts of fictional stuff. But uh, yeah, it's, it's based on, uh, I wanted to kind of reproduce that moment in time because it was a great year and it was really exciting time to be a a young person. And when um, there's a lot of the music culture in there. So uh, I wanted to kind of bottle that because it was exciting. And we kind of felt like we owned this movement that was happening with all the, you know, new wave music and art and such. So that's um that's really why this happened when it did this book. The book follows Jessica, the main character. She's a 20-year-old art student. She's on a break from college. She's on a break from her boyfriend. They're like on hold. And so she heads yes. out to a small tourist town, New Hope, Pennsylvania, uh to make some money so she can study in London for a year. How much of this scenario is based on on your life and what you did about that time? Uh, well, a lot of it, like I said, it kind of, that's where it starts. I did spend time in New Hope with uh, a bunch of roommates from college. Um, the boyfriend thing was, you know, it's, it's sort of loosely based on some things that happened. Um, but you know, like I said, the characters kind of have to run their own way. So, (laughs) so they turn into something different than, than the real people that you were sort of thinking about from the beginning. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's more kind of the ambition of the character, I think that, that drives her. And that was, 
that was kind of similar to what I had, just that feeling of I've got to, my life's got to start happening. I want to get out there. I want to, you know, I want to be famous and I want to, <laughs> I want to, you know, do something creative that people are going to notice and, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, I think when you're in college and you're kind of in the middle of, of deciding how your life is going to go, that's when that becomes really crucial and you're, you're longing for a lot of that stuff, but it hasn't happened yet. Did you know what you were going to do or what you wanted to do at that point in your life? Oh, well, you know, I, I wanted to be a writer since I was like, like five years old or something. I was not like a lot of people like have this epiphany sometime in their life and they decide that they're going to be a writer. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's great and all. And a lot of people did that like during the pandemic. They just they discovered that, you know, they could heal because they're writing about their experience. And that's, you know, that's very valid. But me, I was like the kind of kid who was like making up stories and like I had the Barbie dolls doing the different <laughs> roles and things. And I was like pretending to be a talk show host and doing all sorts of, you know, interviews of, you know, famous people and imaginary, you know, in my bedroom and my imaginary, you know, set and so I always had all this artsy stuff going on. So there was really not, I was not one of those people who wonder what they were going to do with their lives. I just kind of was always doing it. <laughs> yeah. When I, in 1984, I wanted to go to business school and become an accountant to put things in perspective. Ah. Now I did okay. get a journalism, I did get a journalism degree and, and I have, you know, been in journalism ever since, but there was a period of time when I think the idea of being Joel from risky business, you know, <laughs> wanted to be a future entrepreneur of America, you know, and turn uh -huh. my parents' house into a brothel. I mean, that, that seemed like a good strategy Fun. at that point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when, uh, what's the biggest challenge to you as a writer? I, I'm curious as a, as a fellow writer, when you set a story 40 years later, I mean, uh, you know that your audience is going to be, are going to be fans of the eighties, you know, like myself. Um, and they're going to notice the details, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is, I remember a lot of the, the details. You have to jump in there and do your research, um, especially if you're going to be mentioning a lot of things like songs, because if you mention a song that didn't come out till 1986 and you're writing a book that is from 19, you know, it's happening in 1984, people are going to, you know, come in and, and ream you for that. <laughs> I would, yeah. So, you know, I had to make sure that everything I was remembering was from that, you know, not past that particular point in time. Uh, maybe there's a couple like the, all the chapters start with song lyrics or, or uh, uh, song titles. You can't quote the lyrics, so you have to pay royalties. <laughs> but in any case, um, maybe some of the those songs that uh, um, the titles are in the title of the chapter, some of those maybe are not exactly to that timeline. But that's not really part of the narrative of the story, so I, I allowed it. <laughs> That makes sense. That makes sense. One one thing that always drove me crazy about everyone always used to ask me, "Oh, do you watch the Goldbergs because it's set in the '80s?" And I said, "No." The one mm -hmm. thing I can't stand about the Goldbergs is they're going to see the premiere of Poltergeist, and there's a Top Gun poster on the wall. It's like it cannot <laughs> happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But I think he always says that it's 1980 something in the Goldbergs. Yeah. yeah, I love I love the Goldbergs. I have to confess, it can't be both. It can't be both. It can't. It can't be. It's got to, it can't be dual positions in the eighties, but it, it's true. I, I respect but, the effort anyway. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I give him give him a little bit of leeway because you know it's not a documentary, really. It's it's him having fun. And I think I think that series went on an awful long time. As long as it took to get through the eighties, they did seasons. So <laughs> I think after a while he had to go back and you know, cross a few wires there that uh, with things that had already been established. So 
you're, you're <laughs> telling you me <laughs> yeah, I, I've been doing stuck in the 80s for 18 years. So it's lasted eight years wow. longer than the decade. Yeah. Wow. So occasionally people come to me and they're like, you ever done a podcast on? I'm like, yes, probably have. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even complete the sentence. I mean, unless you well, really thought something else, but yeah, glad I could be part of the legacy here. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of the things that drives, drives me to the book and why I keep going back and rereading certain chapters, I like that none of the characters are perfect. Ooh. They all make the same sort of boneheaded mistakes that we did at that age. Very realistic mistakes, you know, not, not at all like a storybook uh, plot at, at all. Yeah, well, that's true. Especially the girls. I mean, there's a, uh, a lot of focus on the friendship of the four girls in the book. And those are not perfect friendships either. No. They kind of trip each other up a lot, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. But yet they're still, they still love each other is the thing. In the end, they kind of still support each other no matter what happens. You know, they kind of drop everything to, to, to help each other when sure. it's needed. But yeah, this is the way life is. You know, people aren't perfect. You, you, even your, your, you, you know, you have to try and be forgiving in life. Otherwise, you wouldn't have any friends, I think. So that's true. <laughs> or boyfriends what, or what have you. Um, what's the connection to New Hope, the city that it's based in? Uh, well, the connection really is that it was it was a fun place to be. It was kind of an enclave that people, you know, there was like sort of an underground society going on there where you could kind of be whatever you wanted to be in New Hope. If you know New Hope, um, you know, nowadays, like you can run out into society and you can kind of be whoever you want to be and have whatever kind of you know, preferences you want to have or sexuality or what have you. The 80s, it was a little more an underground thing. Um, and if you if you were, you know, an artsy person and if you were not, you know, straight and narrow, um, what everybody expected, uh, maybe you had to find a place where people were more accepting of that. And New Hope was one of those places. So, you know, not to beat around the bush, but um, uh, New Hope was kind of, you know, what San Francisco was on the, on the west coast there new hope kind of was on the east coast um and it was just a fun place a lot of uh, art and music and restaurants and um as girls we wanted to go someplace where we could make some money and we kind of thought about atlantic city but that was a little kind of sleazy from people <laughs> so this was a little more like fun and artsy and you know a lot of cool things happened there so i wanted to document that in a, in a certain way the, the the first time i was reading the book I, I was convinced that I, I grew up in Florida, so I, I don't think I've ever set mm. foot in the state of Pennsylvania. And I was convinced that New Hope was a town you invented. And that I was I had this no. theory. I, I know it's not. I've looked it up since. I, I know that it exists. And, and, and from what I've read, it is exactly as you describe it in the book. I mean, just dead on. But until that moment, I was convinced that you had invented this town and that the meaning of it had two meanings. Um, that it was a place to go to reinvent yourself. And, uh, but, but in a way in the book, you kind of do in it, that kind of does work out. Absolutely. That, well, that's, that's a theme in the book. There's a moment where she stops and says that you can kind of show up in, and in, in new hope and leave, uh, and turn into whatever you want and leave as something completely different. And even the buildings that way, where there was a certain history to it, you know, an old farmhouse is now a restaurant and, you know, this is, this bar looks kind of like it could have been a tree fort, you know, and in, in the past, or there's a church and now it's an art gallery or, or what have you. So things kind of do get reinvented there either over time or purposefully. And that's just, that's it. That's a 
it's a nice option to be able to do that. And uh, Jessica, who's the main character, she's an artist. And she obsesses a lot about the nature of creativity. And that's how she's kind of pulled into this relationship with a new wave guitarist who, you know, has his own uh, creative side where you take something and you kind of strain it through your brain and you turn it into something different and you make it art and then you present it to people and you give them a new experience based on that. Um, but she kind of feels like she tries to do that in relationships too with people and finds out you just, you can't, you can't make people what you want them to be. You have to, like, like we're saying, you have to forgive people. You have to realize that you can't put too much at their feet and you have to just kind of live in the confines of, of reality and how people are going to react to you. So. Well, plus, I mean, I think it's interesting. She, she breaks things in order to recreate them as art. Yeah, she so you, does. That's true. Can't You don't <laughs> want to break a person just to recreate them. So. Yeah, that's, that's true. I think, yeah, there was, there was a moment where <laughs> she kind of, her friend said, yeah, somebody tried that, you know, it's Frankenstein didn't quite work out. You can't. <laughs> Agree. But she is. She's a glass artist, so she does like crack things to pieces and put them back together. So, how long has the idea or the plot for this book been in your head? Um, forever. Like since, like since maybe like the late eighties. I there were a few things that I wanted to write about. Um, and I actually went back to certain notebooks and things where I had started scenes and used some of those things. Um, you know, I kind of had to tear them to pieces and start over again. But at least, you know, I had a little bit going on to start with. You had to break them into pieces and recreate them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that translates. I don't. I don't think I caught the nostalgia bug for the '80s until the late '90s. I, I think there's this um, period of separation you need in order to truly appreciate what you had. So I, I can see where this book would come together better today than it would have maybe if you tried to write it in 88 or 89. Possibly, yeah. Um, it, it is now, though, in kind of this middle ground where it's not exactly historical fiction. It's kind of been, it was kind of hard to sell it that way, even though some people defined it that way. But it's not a contemporary book. So, right. you know, it's it's in this kind of limbo <laughs> Of, you know, what, where do we call it as fiction? I kind of like to call it retro fiction and, you know, are appealing to people, like you said, who, who have an appreciation for the decade. Well, yeah, I mean, it's set then. I mean, it's, it's not like Stand By Me, which is just, you know, old middle-aged guy thinks back to when he was a kid or, or, or stuff like, or even, you know, Christmas Story uses that same trope of using contemporary times as to, to, to appreciate older times. I just mean in terms of uh, how you approach the topic as a writer might seem you know it's easier to 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 mold and to 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 find a, a greater context when you when you write it years later yeah it's true but i've actually been told that sometimes the character sounds like she has more experience with the world than she would have at that moment and maybe that's the nostalgia and the insight bleeding through you know because it you know it takes that much time to really be able to sit and say okay i understand this all now yeah. You know, you, you don't understand really some of the things that happened to you until later. Absolutely. Yeah. When you think when you think back on the 80s, uh, what are the what are the first things that come flooding to your mind? Is it the music, the fashion, the art, the just, you know, that point of your life? I mean, what what is the first image that comes flooding into your mind when you think 80s? Hmm. Uh, I definitely hear the music when I think 80s. I think that was th those are the strongest memories for me. But I think the music kind of dictated a lot of what 
you identified yourself with in the 80s? You know, it kind of decided what your haircut was going to be, what kind of clothes you were going to wear, what shoes you put on, you know, what boots you put on, who your friends were, what club you went to. It was it was really kind of defining. And you could kind of tell that the minute you looked at somebody, (laughs) you know, are they punk? Are they a headbanger? Or, you know, are they kind of stuck in the 70s and they're still listening to disco? Uh, You could you could tell you could identify each other. And, you know, you knew who your people were. <laughs> is it something that you still kind of engage in regularly? Like, do you go to, um, you know, when when an 80s band rolls through town, do you still go enjoy the music live or is it? Yeah, yeah. I was at the Cure at Madison Square Garden oh. in June. It was terrific. <laughs> <laughs> so three, was, was it three terrific. hours long? Two and yeah, hours? they played till like midnight. It was great. It was great. And uh, yeah, Depeche Mode is coming up in October. And yeah, there's a whole, there's a lot of... Um, 80s groups and like new wave groups on Facebook. Uh, and a lot of us are this kind of like a core group who keeps seeing each other over and over again. And a couple of those people I've actually, you know, gotten to be a little bit better friends with. And, you know, one in the Philadelphia area that we, you know, we went out and saw you two cover band recently. And, you know, there it's a lot of fun to be involved and you almost feel like competitive about, yeah, I got to go to the concert so I can take footage and put it on the boards. <laughs> Um, so I hear your work is being included in a, in a new uh, UK-based fanthology about Howard Jones. Uh, yeah. What, what can you tell me about that? Uh, well, it sounds very cool. They they were uh, they put out a call, so to speak, I'm doing air quotes, um, where they wanted to hear from people who went to concerts and what their experiences were, etc. And I had seen Howard Howard Jones back, I think it was in 1989, wow. at um, what was then called Jones Beach Theater in New York which is this really cool venue because it like juts right out into the water. So you're kind of surrounded by, you know, the, the bay, I think it is. Um, and, uh, you know, the weather gets really crazy. So things like blow around and the, the, the lighting like bangs and, you know, all sorts of weird stuff uh, happens. But it's a really cool kind of emotional uh, journey. And um, when he did the concert, it struck me that he took a moment where he just walked from, you know, they had like huge synthesizers and there were like five of them on the stage. And at one moment there was nobody playing and he walked from like synthesizer to synthesizer and turned each one on and each one played a different part of the song as he did that. And uh, that was just really cool because at the time this was all kind of new, you know, people, these instruments were only coming into being, you know, like five or 10 years before. And as far as being able to see somebody, the music playing for them, that was pretty brilliant. So it was a really cool experience. So, you know, I I remembered that moment. So I kind of wrote about that and, you know, about, you know, going to the clubs and seeing people with Howard Jones hair, haircuts and such and being impressed. So, yeah. Very unique haircut. Even to today, he still has yeah. it. He still manages to keep it very, very original and unique. Uh, I understand you're also working on a collection of your own essays. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, short stories. So I, I like writing writing short stories because they're you know they're short and you can kind of actually bang them out instead of <laughs> spend years and years on a novel. But uh, in any case, I haven't really decided whether I'm a horror writer or 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 a you know relationship writer. So I'm kind of trying to reconcile that, but I have both like, you know, dysfunctional relationship stories and horror stories and family stories and such. It's a little eclectic, but it's more or less um, about people who are kind of on that precipice once again saying, all right, how the heck did I get here? And how do I get somewhere else? How do I get out? Uh, Which, you know, kind of goes back to once in a lifetime, which is why 
it took the title that it did of that song because it basically is screaming, how did I get here? And just that chaos and that moment of this is not where I want to be. It's, that's kind of what my stories all point to. Yeah. So it's tentatively titled, How Is This My Life? But we'll see. <laughs> I see a theme developing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Can there be a sequel to Once in a Lifetime? Uh, there or does that could kind be. of defeat the purpose? I mean, well, no, in my in my head, there are there are sequels because, I mean, there's things that she wanted wants to do and play and and places that she wants to get in her career. And I think those would also be interesting to see her uh, achieve some of those goals. And, you know, one of those watch out for what you wish for type of moments where things are never exactly what you think they're going to be when you start out as a youth. There's usually something darker and more underlying that's involved in in the things that you fight for, you know, it's, it's never without sacrifice. So if there are sequels, that's probably where they're going to go. That sounds great. I can't wait. If people want to follow you on social, what's the best way to do it? Uh, yeah, well, I have a, a website uh, that's um, Suzanne Matiboni.com. Um, and uh, there's one for the novel, which is uh, once in a lifetime novel.com. And I'm also, I'm on Facebook as Suzanne Greco Mataboni which, you know, I've done some pub- some publishing under my maiden name for that reason. Um, I am like Suze Mataboni 80s, I think, on, on Twitter, if you want to take a look. Yeah. Uh, I'm also on, I think, it's Suze Mataboni book, maybe on uh, Instagram. I'm trying to remember. I get, you know, it's, it's like trying to remember all the passwords. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm out there. If you look for Suzanne Mataboni, because that's, that's kind of somewhat of a unique, unique name. So yeah. I'm out there. So take a look. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks for bringing us back to the summer of 1984. It was a hell of a book. Thanks a lot. I'm really glad you liked it and uh, hope other people out there like it too. So there it is. I'm really loving these chats that I get to have with other writers. Yeah. Now that I've listened to it again, I I kind of tie the title better into the plot of the book. Although I know it's tricky to uh, discuss a book without discussing so much of the plot that mooks like me who haven't read the book aren't completely everything isn't completely given away yeah um if you're interested in reading it uh, you can find it i bought it on kindle off amazon uh you can read more about it at the official website once in a lifetime novel.com i could use something to read on my next cross-country flight so maybe i'll pick it up you know what else i'd like to read next the, the seggies take this job and shove it I ain't working no more. Oh no, I remember this, Seggy. This is not a good sign. No. Uh, in case you hadn't heard, uh, folks, I was laid off again last week by the <sighs> same company that laid me off six years ago, seven years ago. And when we did that, when it happened, it was it was a little bit more of a surprise then. Yeah. Um, it, 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 when we did that, I was... <laughs> We started this seggy. I don't know why I'm laughing. This is not funny. Well, you know, you gotta <laughs> laugh so you don't you cry. Laugh. The uh, when, we, when we when I got laid off the first time, and I was it took me about I think four or five months to find another job. We started this seggy. Take this job and shove it. And we basically asked people to share their worst job stories. Yeah, and we got some good ones. Oh I man, remember. it was it was a, a rich mine of con- a rich vein of content <laughs> for us to mine. It was delightful. Because we are, I, I, as we've discussed, we are emotional vampires, and we need your pain <laughs> to feed on. Speaking of I need my pain, I want my pain, 
Uh, I subjected Mrs. Spearsy to Star Trek V last night. Ooh. I just showed her the scene with Cybok where he relieves them of their pain. Mm. And goes on his little rant about, I need my pain. I want my pain. Yeah. Damn it, Bones, you're a doctor. You know that pain and guilt can't be taken away with a wave of a magic wand. They're the things we carry with us, the things that make us who we are. If we lose them, we lose ourselves. I don't want my pain taken away. I need my pain. And and I, I'm not making this up. I started to cry. Hmm. <laughs> so, what makes Spears cry? Cybok. She, yeah. Yeah, we haven't had that segment in a long time either. Uh, example of a, of a horrible story. I think I've shared this before in the podcast. There was a job I had in Tampa once, and I only had it for nine months. But it was so bad. It was so instantly horrible that the only way I could get through it was every night when I came home from work, I would retype my resignation letter. So like every day you had a fresh one? Yes. I don't remember this story at all. That's amazing. And, yeah. Like, and It's like the reverse of good look, good work, Wesley. Sleep well. I'll likely kill you in the morning. <laughs> yeah. it, uh, I carried it around in my pocket. And people would challenge me, like we'd go go to happy hour after work, like, and they would hear it. the story. Do it. Like, do you really have? You don't really have it in your pocket. And I would whip it out and be like, "Here it is. Here's the today's resignation letter." And then you'd pull out the letter. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, I I would go back depending on what kind of day it was. It could be a, a real thoughtful and thankful resignation, or it could be a a profanity filled tirade version on a bad day. Yeah. Or, or sometimes it was just I quit effective now goodbye, yeah, and um, terse. <laughs> finally, I, what's funny is I never got a chance to use it. Huh. Um, they beat you to it. Be, no, what happened was I guess they were getting ready to close shop in Tampa Bay and move, okay. and they had caught wind that I was applying for other jobs, mm. and so they brought me in the office. And at that point, I had two offers, and I was trying to decide which one to go with. And they and they brought me in the office. They're like, you know, we're going to close up shop here. We understand that you're uh, you've got some uh, opportunities. Some you irons know. in the fire, as it were. Yeah, I think you know, I think you should tell us about them. I'm like, I, I think I think what I'll do instead is is I'll make today my last day, and uh, you know, I'll t- I'll I'll stop by HR on my way out. And they're like, "Really? That's it?" I'm like, "Really? That's it?" I didn't leave a note or anything. We just, just had that conversation. Out. I had over the course of the previous week been taking a little bit from the office home, like okay, clearing the place pens out, and pencils. Yeah, yeah. So by the time it came for me to say that, everything was gone. That's and funny. I was able to just w- walk out the door with my briefcase and be done with Steve's it. Steve's stuffed animal collection seems to be getting smaller. <laughs> yeah. But no, I never did give him a, a formal letter, but. Years I'm, later, I saw the guy who hired me okay. at a trade convention, and I went up to him and I said, you once recruited me for the worst job I've ever had in my lifetime. And he goes, who are you? <laughs> I was like, so upset. He didn't remember me. <laughs> just some, yeah, to you, to him, he's just, uh, to him, you're just a, a face that passed through one time to fill that one slot. Yeah, trust the yeah. Dozens of people followed me. The, the so. machine, the machine turns regardless of yeah. who's inside it. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I guess the only time I've ever resigned is when I went from the small consulting company I was working at to go to Walt Disney Company, and you know, I wrote out the letter and gave him gave him two weeks. And the the funny thing, well, to me, funny. The day that I resigned, I had been helping them recruit this guy into the company, and honestly, I thought he was going to be a good fit, and he was. He's still there. 
and as it turns out, I went back as well. But uh, I'm like, hey, you're going to love it here. Actually, you can have my desk because uh, <laughs> today I just turned in my notice. I'm gone in two weeks. <laughs> He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, it's going to be great. You're going to love it here. It's not for me. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Well, share your story with us. Send it to uh, podcast at sits.com. Uh, put, take this chop and shove it in the subject line. Ah, it's time for TV Party Tonight. This is the seggy where we play a theme song from an 80s TV series. You know, it's amazing how easy it is to talk about the seggies when you've only had Gatorade to drink at this time. Hmm, so. Shocking. <laughs> we will play a theme song from the 80s. If you get it right, you're entered into the drawing for some postal friendly bottle openers. It's boom, true. Boom, 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 I'm behind. Boom, boom. But they're on their way, and when they arrive, riches untold will be delivered to our listeners who are on the backlog. You know what I need from you still is a stuck in eighty sticker from my computer laptop. I've, For whatever uh, reason, okay. I don't wow, I'm I'm embarrassed that I haven't given you one because anyway, I'll get you how you many you want. Have. I'll send you an envelope full. <laughs> just just like a couple would be fine. Yeah. I should have stuck one on my work computer that I turned in. My I had to, kids I, are really good about sticking them up on the walls of bars that they go to. I'm always like, I, I get back to my room and like, say, for instance, I'm in New York and I'm out with clients or people or anybody and there might be some drinking going on and, and I walk back to my room and I have in my bag, I always have a couple stickers and I'm just like, oh, I should have stuck that on the light post or something. I never think to do it. I had to go drop off my work laptop last Friday because I've, I've worked remotely for the last Four oh, yeah. years. Three years, anyway. And so I haven't been... T- it's been so long since I've been to the office that they've changed their address like three times. Oh, my gosh. So I had to plug it into my GPS to find the office, go there on a <laughs> Friday morning, <laughs> turn it in. And I should have stuck one of those damn stuck in 80 stickers on it. But uh, I didn't. So That's I took the fun. high road. Anyway... From episode 668, here was the mystery theme song. That's Murder, She Wrote. Oh, man. Seriously? Seriously? You know what? Of the 31 people who got it right, I don't think anyone actually admitted to watching the show. Yeah, you know, that's that's fine, 80s Nation. Denial ain't just a river in Egypt. <laughs> okay, Safe my space. friend. I'm gonna, I can go make a grilled cheese sandwich while you read these off. This isn't going to take very long. I'm, I'm just going to plow through these babies. Winners this week include Todd Cunningham, not just another Michael Hayes, Chuck the Whiskey Boost, Martin the Irish Evertonian, Doctor, I'm not really a doctor, I just play a doctor online, Dim, Carlos from St. Louis, Anfield Albert, Slippery Rock Q, Michelle O'Brien, Ward Baker, John from Jersey, Dave Parrott, Goonie for Life, Anastasia in Colorado, Corey Coffin, Richard the Big Bunny, Dave Featherston, Charlie Brown in Vegas, Daryl Carver, Peter Ryan in Montreal, Canada, Tom Corn in Austria, Kevin Serving Wench, Gene and Hollister, Cincinnati Joe, Lindsay in the middle of Michigan, Anonymous Dave, and Chase in Ecuador, who writes, wow, two in a row, Chase, you're on a streak. If I'm not mistaken, the most recent TV Party Tonight theme song was from that vampire of a show, Murder, She Wrote. 
which refused to die and ran from 1884 to 1986. For 264 episodes from the start of my freshman year in college until my fourth job after college. Well, try wow. holding a job, Chase. That's a new, <laughs> new idea. Uh, in that period, I moved away from my hometown, oddly, a small New England coastal town, much like Cabot Cove, earned a degree, worked in Greenwood, South Carolina, Daytona Beach, Washington, D.C., and Spartanburg, South Carolina, and got married. This damn show would not go away. All those years, I didn't have cable, so I only had the networks. And this frickin' undead spawn of Satan circled every Sunday night on CBS, waiting to crush my soul as I headed into another work week. Even when we thought it had died, it rose from the crypt for four TV movies. Oh, look, another murder in tiny Cabot Cove, Maine, a state that had 29 murders in all of 2022. I looked it up, and no... Jen with one N is not the prime suspect in any of those. So you put that damn conspiracy theory away right now. How could bumbling Sheriff Tom Bosley not figure out the bloodbath in this small town was perpetuated by Angela Lansbury? But it does raise the question, if contemporary sleuth Matlock had lived in Cabot Cove, would he have busted her? I'm retired. I have all day to think about these things. (laughs) Jason Ecuador. Wow. Man's got a point. He was the TV critic at the St. Pete Times when I first started the podcast. So oh, if you go you back go. And, and that's right, listen to some of the first episodes that first year, he's in the Miami Vice show. I think a we crown did one jewel on... in the Stuck in the Eighties catalog. Okay, so spin the wheel. Let's find out who gets the bottle opener. Okay, here we go. Uh, looks like it's going to land on Lindsay in the middle of Michigan. Excellent. So when that... so where are you on the mitten? Right in the middle. Yeah. Should probably be in the crook. The crook. Yeah, I guess. Is it upside down midden? I forget. No, it's just kind of a. I forget exactly. I don't. (laughs) Some Michigander will set us straight, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Just like the Canadians always set us straight. Uh, Lindsay, go ahead and email us your snail mail address. Uh, In the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery TV theme song. If you know it, email us at podcast at sitds.com and tune in soon to find out if you're a winner. We'll be right back after this commercial break. When people heard that Burger King changed the Whopper, response was overwhelming. I like the Whopper the way it was, fool. But then people found out that the new Whopper is bigger than ever. What do you mean, bigger? More beef than Big Mac. More beef than Wendy's Single. More beef? And then they heard how the new Whopper beat them both for best taste. Better taste? And when they finally tried the new Whopper, they could hardly contain themselves. It's not bad. Hey, we're back. We've got a few minutes left. Wanted to tell you about a new cruise that's coming out. I know I know we you, you probably hear us talk about the 80s cruise enough. We will not mention that for the next couple of minutes. But the company that created the 80s cruise, and they created the Star Trek cruise as well, they have a new Comic-Con cruise. So it is a four-day cruise out of Tampa in February 2025. So it's not it's – not, it's a bit of a wait. We don't have the talent lineup yet, but if you're into Comic-Con type activities, the Marvel Universe, etc., etc., uh, go to ComicConTheCruise.com, and you can sign up there, and they'll send you uh, some more information. I know Chuck Coverley's already booked Cabin. Has he really? I mean, yeah. look, this is a uh, this is a great property for these guys. I mean, it really is truly an evergreen topic. It goes back and forth, I think, to Cozumel. 
Oh, okay. Well, that's you know, and Tampa's hey, a fun port. So it is a fun but, port, uh, and uh, the, in the spring, it's very pleasant. Don't forget your uh, take this job and shove it stories. Send those to us. We need the comic relief. Uh, in the meantime, don't forget to look up this book, Once in a Lifetime Novel dot com by Suzanne Mattaboni. Mm. In the meantime, Brad and I remain here, hopelessly stuck in the eighties. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And thanks for listening. Stop,